<clears throat> so I was born in Oklahoma and raised in a fiercely competitive alpha male environment as the third born of four boys. Uh, the focus on, in my house was on uh, God, church, athletics, and education. They were all highlighted in my household. My parents were strong believers and a great model of commitment in marriage. And although I knew they had disagreements, I never questioned that they were in it for life. Because girls, other than my mom, were never around our house growing up, I was typically very uncomfortable and insecure around them. I was introduced to pornography at age 13, and it was present in my life in various forms well into our marriage. Uh, my teenage years were filled with doubt regarding my status with God. I claimed to love him and follow him, but in practice, I pursued desires of my flesh and never pursued a daily relationship with him. Most of the time, this, le this left me simply hoping that a prayer I'd prayed when I was young uh, was enough to get me to heaven. My life was defined by Paul's words in Titus 3.3. 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. By my 22nd birthday, I had attended three different universities, had no credit to show for it, and was breaking off inappropriate relationships with other girls because Cher and I had found out that she was pregnant out of wedlock with our first child. After a three-week engagement, I found myself married to a girl I'd known less than a year, and we would be parents soon. Um, so I also grew up in a Christian home as the youngest of four kids. I accepted Christ when I was five years old. I went to Christian school my entire life, including college, and our family was in church every time the doors were open, usually serving in some capacity. Um, I even had a godly heritage passed down from my grandparents, but much of it was rooted in legalism and not really dealing with heart issues and understanding God's love for me. Trey and I met in February of my freshman year of college. He had transferred to our small Christian college and definitely was the new guy on campus. I had just gotten out of a relationship and really had no interest in dating initially, but as we got to know each other, that feeling quickly went away. We enjoyed being with each other so much. Things started out slowly, but after he came back from summer break to play football, our relationship progressed quickly. Within a few months, we were sexually active, and a couple of months after that, we found out that I was pregnant. We had not been living and dating according to the principles of the Bible and had made the choice to have sex before marriage, which led to some hard times and conversations with us and our family. Although I had made some poor decisions with Trey, I never questioned what the next step would be. I loved him, he loved me, and we were having a baby together, so we were married just a few weeks after we told our parents of the news. Our honeymoon period ended before it even started. We quickly found out that I don't handle pregnancy well, and I was sick the entire nine months. We did not have any type of community to spur us on through this hard stage of life, and we were left to figure out the whole marriage thing on our own. In the first year, I also found out that Trey had been unfaithful while we were dating, and I was blindsided by this, and it definitely added to the stress. I remember hearing that your first year of marriage is your easiest. I was committed, but I thought, I am in for a really long life. We still enjoyed being together, but all the outside stressors made for some really difficult times. Our family continued to grow in these first years. We had our third child right after we celebrated our fourth wedding anniversary. 
If you're counting, that's roughly 27 months of sickness. Our marriage wasn't bad at that point, but I'd say most of our early years were marked by mediocrity. We went to church, but we were a far cry from being true Christ followers. We looked good enough on the surface, and honestly, even if you saw the day-to-day, but we weren't loving each other well or really seeking to follow what the Bible's view of marriage was. So I met Shara in the church uh, I attended while in college in Wisconsin. Her personality immediately put me at ease, and we always had a great time together. After we got married, I dropped out of school and went to work full-time. I still carried considerable doubt about my relationship with Christ Uh, I claimed that I was a Christian, but as I looked at my past, all I saw was damaged relationships, hurt, and no pursuit of a relationship with Jesus when left to my own devices. In the months following our marriage, I wrestled with assurance of my relationship with Christ. So many bad choices in my past, combined with continual sin struggles, uh, just had me in a place where I wasn't sure. Finally, I came to the place where I accepted that my salvation was dependent on Christ's assurance in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, they will never be con- uh, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. I enjoyed married life. Cher and I have always had a great time together, but my relationship with Christ looked a lot like sitting in church on Sunday, most of the time trying to be a really good guy, a good dad, and reading Bible stories to my kids. Uh, Cher was always very plugged into church. I saw her spend regular individual time in the Word. For the most part, we got along pretty well, but when we would disagree over finances, parenting, or other life decisions, she would approach me and ask me if I was spending time alone with the Lord. She would beg me to step up and be the spiritual leader of our family, urge me out of the complacency and complete selfishness that defined my existence. Uh, My approach at that time was to tell her uh, what I thought she wanted to hear to get her off my back and continue on with whatever distraction, uh, participating in sports, uh, grad school, things like that that I could find. I would read a devotional book and pray anytime our backs were against the wall financially or if we had a big decision coming up. Well, Texans really like to be in Texas, so after our first few years of marriage in Wisconsin, we moved to Texas. Things mainly remained the same, except we added another baby. And for me, the move also brought about the whole idea of looking like I had it all together and portraying a perfect life. We had great friends at church, but still no authentic community. When our youngest was about a year and a half, we, th- we thought it would be a great time for both of us to go back to school. We were obviously delusional. Trey wanted to finish his master's, and I wanted to finish up my undergraduate degree. So the fall of 2009 proved to be a busy one. Trey was teaching and coaching and in school, and I was in school and also coaching and tutoring, all while trying to be a stay-at-home mom to four young kids. I deal with craziness pretty well, but during this season, I stopped having my personal daily time in the Bible. There just wasn't enough time in the day, and it was the first thing to go. I definitely was not putting on the armor of God that's talked about in Ephesians 6 to be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Satan was about to attack our family, and I was not making any preparation for this battle. We had some family friends from church that we spent quite a bit of time with on the weekends. They were just a little bit older than us. We looked up to them um, and enjoyed being with them. The husband began calling me on the phone, and it was always for good reason, and I didn't keep anything from Trey um, about it initially, but soon the calls became more frequent. 
I knew something was off, but I thought I could just handle it. This relationship began to grow at a pretty quick pace. The poor choices I continued to make led me to a place that I never thought that I would be. This relationship grew emotionally and before long sexually as well. Every hurt that Trey had ever caused me and was really never dealt with became my justification for continuing on. Once it reached a certain point, I thought there is just no going back because Trey would never forgive me. I stayed in it because I thought it was the path I had chosen for myself and now I had to deal with it. This family relocated within a couple months um, and the affair continued emotionally for about seven more months. During this time, I had isolated myself from my friends, from my family, and I was driving myself crazy trying to keep up with my sin. I hardly slept, I hardly ate, and I was a mess. I believed every lie Satan had told me and become a slave to it all. John 8.34 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So despite the fact that as a little girl, I'd asked Jesus into my heart, and he wanted nothing more for me to live in that freedom, I was enslaved to my sin and keeping up with it. I had quenched the Holy Spirit, and I was fighting this losing battle on my own. The whole relationship came to a screeching halt about nine months after beginning. In the middle of the night, complete with words neither of us have ever heard each other say, and a whole lot of screaming. I had been found out, and I really thought that this was the end of our marriage. He would never take me back after finding out the truth, but I was proven wrong. And after the initial shock, he started fighting really hard for us. Trey prayed over me and read scripture to me that first night. And when he left for work the next morning and I woke up, I began to read in the Psalms. This was the first time I'd opened up my Bible since it all had begun about nine months prior. I began reading in Psalm 51 where David is pleading that God create in him a new clean heart and restore him. I was broken. I asked God to forgive me. I ended the relationship. And when Trey got home, I asked him to forgive me. His words were, I have my wife back. The fall that I began grad school, Shara and I uh, really began to drift apart. I was busy with schoolwork and spending time with a guy from church, playing tennis and whatever else we could come up with to do. I generally ignored anything uh, serious at home. And when Sharon and I had disagreements, they would quickly escalate and I would just try to hurt her with what I said. I found out about Sharon's affair one night when we were home alone. Our kids were in Colorado and were thankfully spared our wheels off uh, Jerry Springer moments that night. Following the blow up, I remember sitting in our kitchen that night facing the reality that my wife was going to leave me and I was on my way to being a single dad. The next day, I met with two pastors that I had known for a long time. I was advised to not let anyone know what had occurred and given some books to read on the topic of forgiveness. They also offered to listen any time I needed to talk. In the first year after the affair came to light, I was so eager to distance from those incredibly difficult days, uh, I was very insecure about whether or not uh, Cheryl loved me or would stay around that I dove headfirst into every Bible-based marriage resource I could find. I prayed continually, asking God to protect Shara's heart and break the emotional bonds that were formed through the affair. I prayed that the Lord would help me to forgive her. I prayed uh, for the man involved, uh, that the Lord would help me to forgive him, because I certainly did not want to. One passage the Lord brought me to quickly is James 1, 2 through 4. 
Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Early on, I could not understand how I could be expected to give thanks for what had happened. But as I saw Shara restored and our relationship began to heal, it became easier for me to see how the Lord is able to work all things for good. The next two to three years were a roller coaster for me. I was in a pattern of looking for security in Shara and being the, trying to be the best husband I could be, and things were great. In those times when I was doing good, I would pray periodically. I still really wasn't spending time in the Word, uh, devoted to the Word, and just and I would just try not to think about what had happened. Then the memories uh, of what had happened would come crashing back. All I could focus on uh, is how much pain I was going through. Shara became a target at these times, and all I wanted to do was to hurt her. I wanted her to hurt so she would know how badly she had hurt me. I went to church but spent little to no time in the Word on my own. I saw friends at church but did not share life and community with any of them. Uh, No one outside of Shara's parents and the two pastors that I initially told even knew what had happened. During this time, uh, summer of 2011, Shara and I found re-engaged through an an online resource. And as we attended uh, Open Group, it was so encouraging for me to hear from other couples who had been where we'd been, and the Lord had seen them through it. Although Shara and I uh, both had grown up in church, this was our first taste of biblical community. Once we had a closed group, it was such a relief to be able to share what had happened with others. Going through the lessons brought me face-to-face with what Jesus Christ did for me and always brought me to one question. Considering the forgiveness and love that Jesus extends to me in the face of my guilt and shame, what could Shara do that I could not forgive her for? I don't expect to ever be able to fully wrap my mind around the gospel, how a perfect father could send his perfect son to take all my sin on him and die in my place so that I can have a relationship with Christ and one day enter heaven. For the first time in my life, I had to consider the gospel and how my response to it would then affect me on a very real level within my marriage. Colossians 3.13 is clear. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Through a series of events related to our jobs and family, Sharon and I found Watermark in the spring of 2014. Simply put, life has never been the same. I have constantly been spurred on by the teaching each Sunday and also been so blessed to run with men who walk daily with the Lord. They know God's word and let it direct their lives and encourage me and lovingly hold me accountable to do the same. Uh, Our marriage is far from perfect. Difficult days still come. I have learned that the best thing I can do with any circumstance, and I just lost my place. (laughs) Best thing I can do, uh, where am I at, babe? Sorry. Is best thing I can do with any circumstance is trust that God loves me more than I'll ever understand faithfully thank him for allowing it in my life and ask him to use it to draw me closer to him. For a long time, I asked God, why this? Of all things, why did you allow this thing into my life? Now I look back and know that God in his unbelievable kindness was waking me up to the gospel. 
which is his incredible love and sacrifice for me. I'm so thankful for the Lord's grace and mercy and that his goodness has allowed our family to stay together as a unit. Most of all, I'm thankful that Titus 3.3 is not the end of my story. Verses 4 and 5 say, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Despite growing up in church and a Christian home, it took God saving our marriage for me to see how much he really loves me. He loved me enough to show me grace at my worst and revive our dead marriage. That being said, the restoration process between two broken and hurt people isn't always easy. My dad is a man of few words, but he gave me some great advice in the beginning. And he reminded me that even though I may be good to go and ready to get past this, others, in this case Trey, they're not always going to be in that same place. God has taught me so much through the hurts in our marriage. One thing he has taught me is that I desperately need him. 1 Peter 5.8 says that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Satan knows what I like, what I don't like. He knows when I'm frustrated with Trey, and he knows when I'm down on life. And he wants nothing more than to see our family fall prey to him. Being good enough because I go to church and I'm generally good doesn't cut it when you're being attacked. I have to continually arm myself with his word and surround myself with people who care enough to speak truth into me. Our re-engaged group, along with a few friends, have allowed us to process and heal according to the promises of the Bible, which we're so thankful for. Another thing he has shown me is that God wants to deliver me from the chains of sin, and he has the power to do so. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Not only has God forgiven me of my sin, but he's also forgiven me from the shame and the guilt. I don't have to be labeled as adulterer, but can be labeled as forgiven and daughter of the one true king. Something only a loving and perfect father could orchestrate. The lore that that, ha- that sin had had on me is gone, and the guilt has been paid for. Lastly, God has shown me that his way is perfect. I've done a really good job of getting off track from the life that God wants to give me. But I've seen firsthand his goodness when I obey him and seek to live by him, like him. Even doing hard things like sharing the story with our kids has allowed us to talk to them about the, how good and gracious God has been to our family. 1 Timothy 1.16 says, But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to totally wrap my mind around this idea that God has taken the ugliest moments of my life, the darkest times, and he's made them into the most beautiful story that I will never get tired of sharing. A story that ultimately points to a God who loves us all, who sacrificed his best, his one and only perfect son for our worst. He is the one who wants to take our ugly, shameful moments and make them into a story that will give others hope and ultimately show how good and gracious he is. Thank you all for letting us share our story about how good God has been to me, our marriage, and our family.